0: Greetings. Um, The subject matter that uh, I want to talk about for the next hour or so comes from 10 years of experience freedom in my life and others' lives that I've come across who have allowed me the privilege of counseling them. Um, This presentation is based upon that. From experience of, of being with people, walking them through their life, and seeing the Lord giving them the freedom that so many desperately want. And from the reality that Jesus' mission on this earth is to heal the brokenhearted, I, I take this. This particular background for that I'm going to be using, that's on the screen, was a couple that uh, my wife and I counseled years ago in North Carolina. He is a painter, and he's a pro-life. Uh, most of his stuff's pro-life in the use. His name is Gary Clark, North Carolina. And I called them and asked if I could use this background to use to try and express what I'd like to say at this time. I think this was entitled, uh, We Were Made in His Hands, or His Hands Created Us. In that, the, the Lord has created you and the Lord has created me, and he's created us to be free. He didn't create us to be in bondage. And in freedom, he allows us to live the identity that he created us to be. And in doing that, I'd like to walk through Psalms 139. If you have your Bibles, you might want to walk through it. I'm going to be using the King James Version. And I have to admit before I begin, I'm going to have a hard time trying to express what David was expressing in the Psalms. There are many psalms that David has written, and we know them very well, whether it's Psalms 23 or Psalms 51, or some of the other psalms that so many of us can refer to, but some scholars have referred to Psalms 139 as the kind of the crown jewel of his his writings. And as I go through it, I'm going to make an attempt to try and give you some of the Feelings that David might have felt, I realize that I'm going to do a bad job of doing it because I can't get there. There's just no way. But it's a little bit different than a lot of the Psalms that are written. And as I read it, I want to use this for a basis for what I'm going to try and and present to you. I'm presenting this through the eyes of my experience as a counselor and helping people, and that creates some of my bias. I just want to present it to you and let you ponder it and take it and do with it as you like. But in Psalms 139, and I'm going to read each verse as I go through it because I want you to get the, the understanding of this because in the middle of it is, is you and I are created and we are God's creation. In reading from the King James Version, it says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. And it's him on an individual basis and it is thoroughly and he's looked into him in a deep, deep way in such a way that it's all-knowing. And there's an excitement in the acknowledgement that the Lord knows him. Verse 2, thou knowest my sitting downs and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought from afar. In other words, nothing can escape him. It's a continuous and constant evaluation and he understands his life thoroughly. That was compassed my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Every event, every circumstances is discerned through God's eyes. All my ways, whether they're innocent, whatever the intent or whether it is in ignorance, doesn't make any difference. David is acknowledging that God knows him. For there is not a word in my tongue, but the Lord has known it altogether. In an intimate way from his heart, David is saying that there is such a relationship. It's perfect knowledge. All the actions of his heart is, has been known. All the secrets, everything that he's buried or everything that he's forgotten is still known by God, whether I, he realizes it or not. Thou hast besetted me behind and before, and thou hast laid thy hand upon me. He is acknowledging that God is his personal God and the relationship is so unique. For how knowledge is too wonderful me, it is high, I cannot attain to it. His knowledge is so infinite, but it is good. He is acknowledging that it is a good thing, it is not something that he's afraid of. The word wonderful to him, I looked it up, the words like amazing and astonishing and marvelous and awesome, he's excited about it. His human intelligence cannot comprehend how God knows him and to what extent. And wherever I go from from thy spirit and whether shall I flee from thy presence, you are always there. In other words, his presence is there and he's all-knowing. And if I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. You're everywhere. It doesn't make any difference what the circumstance and situation is. God knows. And if I Take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost sea. Even there shall the hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. He's talking about a presence and a relationship that gives him comfort and strength in all the times of his life no matter what the circumstances or what the situation. He can't hide. And as I read this, put yourself in the position that David is writing this in the realization that God is everywhere and all-knowing and the relation is such a unique situation. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light upon me. Darkness means nothing to God. Everything is light to him. It doesn't make any difference what the circumstances is. Yea, the darkness hide not from thee, but the night shineth out the day. The darkness and light are both alike to thee. Circumstances don't matter. When we're down, it doesn't make any difference. When we're high, it doesn't make any difference. God knows it. He is present in all things and he is knowing. Four. The preference is four in verse 13. For thou has possessed my reins. Thou has covered me in my mother's womb. He is saying that you created me. Your knowledge of me is incredibly unique. You can identify with me because you created me, every part of me, my emotions, my feelings, deep within me from the very, very beginning and even before that. I will praise thee. Now he goes into a praise attitude for the creation that we are. And I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works that my soul knoweth very well. He is aware of it. He has an awareness totally of who he is. The mysteries of God's creation, that we are in his image, his design. We are personally unique. Every one of us is infinitely different. My substance was not hid from thee. I was made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. That's the ultimate knowledge that God knows us and nothing is hidden. And by the way, it is still a secret. It's still a secret to this day how we are created in God's image in the way that he's created. And it will continue to be a secret until probably we go and meet with him. Thine eyes did see my substance, my creation, my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members are written, which is con- con- excuse me, continuance or fashion, yet as there was none of them beforehand. His design on us was from beforehand. He's so personal, so significant and unique. How precious this intimate relationship are all the thoughts unto me and how great is the sum of them. God just sees David. He just sees him. Just like he sees you and me. If I could count them, they're more than the numbers of the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with me the assurance and the comfort, all oh, this is so overwhelming with him that he can identify with David. Then he switches in verse 18. Kind of goes to another situation. He talks about something that, I don't know if, when I first read it, I didn't know if it had any relevance, but when I started to think about it, and again, I'm, this is through my eyes. Surely thou will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. And I thought, how can he make this presentation other than seeing it through his own eyes and the wickedness of his own life in that time with Uriah when he created the ultimate, cruel, purposeful destruction of that man's life. And maybe because of that, it might be still more intensely hateful to David because he realized and understands the degrees of God's heart and what he had done in his own forgiveness. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thy enemies take thy name in vain. And he talks about the wicked that cause anxiety, brokenness, and woundedness, and destroy in such a destructive manner in what they do, and no respecter of who God is. Do I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and I Am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? He has God's heart. It's already been established that a heart like thine. And it's kind of a fierce attitude that he has of seeing the destruction that takes place in this broken world that you and I are part of, recipients of. And he says, I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. One of the things that he realizes is his own freedom his own freedom that he had because of who christ is if you read psalms 51 or 32 of that which was contrary to the creation that was god made him in his image the wickedness that prevails verses 23 and 24 are are a, a culmination of this and a closing and in verse 23 at the beginning all of a sudden he says search me And I went back to verse 1, and I says, well, he's already searched him. So why would he want him to search him again? And he says, thoroughly, O God. He says, you've searched me and known me. So here we go again. And one of the things that I've understood, and I guess it's my own understanding, is that sometimes he goes back and either reinforces some of the things, like the Lord's Prayer, he goes back and reinforces forgiveness. That's the only thing he talks about for two verses after that. Kind of a summary statement. But maybe more than a summary statement. Maybe there's a, a new perspective here. Oh God and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. These two verses in verse 23 are known by most. They're repeated all over and over again. And I'm going to take a perspective as I start through this now. I, as this was a, a beginning. I'm going to take a pure Hebrew perspective. The old Hebrew scholars, the people that understood the Torah, I want to take what they understood of this. And the reason I'm doing that is because I believe that some of it over time has lost the true meaning. And again, I'm seeing this through the eyes of a counselor who has seen many people who have walked through what our brother was talking about in different degrees. So he's saying, search me O thoroughly and know my heart. And knowing that God is all present and all caring, and he created me and there's a relationship, he says, know that heart. And then try it to see what's in there and know my thoughts. Well, our thoughts, if we go back to Genesis 6-5, we know that the Lord said, that their imaginations of their hearts were only continuously evil, and he creates the flood. well their hearts so when we think about thoughts we have to go to the concept which some people try to as I'll explain think it's more of a mental cognitive thing but the hearts is something that's deep down within us that the thoughts come out of and the New Testament is very clear on that that everything emanates out of the heart and see if there are going to be wicked ways in me and, and lead me in the everlasting way I'd like to take these two verses and now go to the Hebrew and go a little bit deeper in this as I start to walk through it. And Excuse me, I didn't do what I should have done, but I'm going to do it now. Forgive me. That was not in my intention. My thoughts. And again, I'm not a scholar, and I don't pretend to. I just have some books, and I go to them, and I start reading them. And so I went through Strong's, and some people know what I'm talking about, And the word means in in that particular thing, thoughts mean disquieting thoughts as secrets. Now, why would he do this? Well, first of all, the things that are deep down in our hearts, we don't know, and we have to have the Lord to reveal it to us. He's asking the Holy Spirit to reveal. Show me what's inside that I don't know. Because I don't know everything about myself. I've done things to not want to go there. I've detached. I've been numb. I've coped in certain ways. And he's saying, in his sincere way, the Lord to search me and know my thoughts. And there are disquieting thoughts as secrets. Disquieting thoughts are those things that are deep that cause us to react in certain ways. They can be negative thoughts, they can be dep- things that cause depression. They can be nervousness, stress. They can be uncertainty. They can be conflict. It can be fear. All these things create disquieting thoughts that are secret. Things that I don't understand. The depths that I just don't know. But in reading the Psalms, nothing's hidden from God. That's what David's saying. Nothing's hidden. You know everything. And he exaggerates in some degree the knowledge that he has. The secrets of disquieting thoughts. So I just did a play on words and turned it around. Disquieting thoughts as secrets. And said, how about the secrets of the disquieting thoughts? What are those secrets? Those things that cause agitation, conflict, so much unrest. He's saying those anxious things within us. Who knows it? David's already shown that he knows and it's very clear those disquieting thoughts are robbers of of peace and rest they're robbers of freedom they're robbers of who I am and who the Lord wants me to be and who he created to be they're things that he did not choose for us to have and I'll run to that in just a second With that, and see if there's any wicked ways in me. If you go to the real word, and some Bibles even say it, see if there's any wicked way in me. I'm using the King James. When you go to Strong's, it says pain. Pain is the root word. So in some ways, and see if there's any pain in me. Now, why would David want to do this? Because if there's pain in me, it can cause all kinds of conflict, It will poison others and it will poison myself. And David's heart is driven to be all that God wants him to be. So whether it's for himself or what it does to others, he says, see if there's any pain in me. Pain pain that hates wickedness. That is influenced by or affected by the things that have happened in the past. Pain that hurts me or pain that hurts others. And he's saying, search me for the source of that, whether it's for himself or others. But what he does, he realizes there's pain. Now, if I take that and start to go back to this particular verse, that God, Jehovah, he is God. He has made us and not ourselves. We are his creation. So when he created us, he must have done something That's like him. And God said. Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. In Genesis. Well. When he created me. The things deep down inside that matter to him. That matter through eternity. Not just for now. It's got to have some connection. To the likeness of us us being God the Holy Spirit and Jesus but when he made us this was in Genesis and before the fall so we got to realize that there was a garden there is a fall and there is brokenness and all of that we have to realize that our identity which God truly intended from his creation has been altered because of the dynamics that we go through in this world In this particular verse, I'm going to concentrate on the first part of this verse because when I look at this, I see it through the eyes of a counselor and see it through the things that have happened over the 10 years that I've been involved in this ministry. There's some curious things that are a little bit different. He says, you have possessed my reins. And this first part of this, before you wove me together in my mother's womb, has been pretty well subtly changed The word it might not even be in some of your Bibles. It might say something else. And what I mean by that, I have to give you uh, a definition. I have to give you what the Hebrews say, the Hebrew, the philosophy, the psychology of, of the Hebrews. This word rains is a huge issue. And that's kind of the central focus of what I'm trying to get across. I want to give you the definition of it. I want to give you the, uh, the Hebrew meaning of it and the depth of it. Because first comes the reins and the creation. Then the knitting together, the woven together, the covering together. So what comes first always comes first. And so, in what he created. So I've got to get a little real technical here, and possess my reins. Now, you notice that the spelling there is not like reins on a horse. It's a different word altogether. The word possessed means basically you created me. It's the same word that created the earth, created everything. So he created my reins. So we have to have an understanding of what the word rain means and how it's been affected over the years. And so I want to give you, rains basically is derived from the Latin word through the old French, but what has given place in modern English to the word kidneys. So I have to explain that a little bit so that you'll understand that. But before I do that, Either I got... Okay, I know where I'm at. Excuse me. What has happened over the years and over the centuries, and the reason that the King James Version was one of the first Bibles written, they took the pure Hebrew form. And in that, the rains was the source of that which is deep down within us. And the word being basically... The Hebrew philosophy of the reins are the seat of the deepest emotions and affections of man which God alone fully knows. The secrets. The secrets that I believe that only God can show through his spirit. The secrets that happen when we counsel. The secret that only God can use to bring healing and create the identity that he wants. The words emotions and affections which drive me It's where my treasure is. They can be positive or negative. It's where my feelings are. It's where my desires are, where my motives are. It's the fuel for issues of life, what drives me. It's the seat of where true love is, and compassion and comfort because in essence that's what all God really wants if you look at the first commandment and the second commandment that he has before us which is to love God with all thy heart and mind and soul and to love your neighbor and without this being in effect it's never going to be accomplished because that's the secret. he knows the deepest affections in me if they're for him or not he knows where my emotions are going and doing so This individual who is a German scholar back, he's a Jewish-German, wrote a bunch of material and I looked that up and and I've seen it quoted other places. The reins are the seat of the deepest, tenderest, most secret emotions that God only knows. And so maybe David is saying, the secrets, my thoughts, my anxious thoughts, Lord, would you show them? Need to go back to this particular slide. Again, what happened basically is that rains were used in the Hebrew. then when we get to the New Testament it's Greek. The Greeks basically urged that that the most Divine and most secret part of our body was through intelligence. The Greek were intellectuals, they were philosophical, and so they now have the inference that it's more of a mindset. And we have this approach that we resolve issues through our mind and in our head instead of through the heart. And one of the things that I'm trying to address here is that it is totally a heart issue. It's interesting that the old Egyptians when they mummified these important people who they wanted to live forever they kept all their organs inside and somehow got rid of everything up in the skull they cleaned they cleaned it out there was nothing left up in here because they felt that everything that was part of us that should live for eternity or in mummifying were the organs and everything which was basically the that which was deep within so with that I come to this if we were in his image and after He's our likeness ours meaning the triune God somehow it's got to be like Christ the emotions, the feelings, the affection that he created us with there's got to be a parallel there's got to be an identity with that I just don't see our Lord creating us with all these things that we don't want to live with. And so I let you just think about that as, as we go through it. If we are in his image and after our likeness, his likeness, there's got to be something deep down inside me that that's the way I was created. What I'd like to do quickly is showing when I, in, in Scripture what I'm talking about. On the screen, all these are different versions of different Bibles. And the purpose that I did this is for the first part of it. And there's nothing that's not true about it. You know, you can't say that's not true. You made all the delicate inward parts of my body. That's true. You created my innermost being. That's true. You formed my inward parts. That's true. These are different versions of the Bible. You made my whole being. It's true. You're the one that put me together inside my mother's body. Another version. It's true. But there's something lost in those translations when it comes to rains, in the purest form of what I'm trying to present. So I need to, from the Old Testament Hebrew version. And I'd like to give you another example. Here's the same, here's a verse. And what I have found, and I don't know how to really put it together because I didn't read anybody's scholarly material. that gave me the insight, and I'm just going to be honest with you. But in Psalms 26 too, there's reins and heart. But reins and heart are connected somehow. Jeremiah 2 thou art near the mouth and far from their reins. When you think about that and you want to use the verse and it's emotions, feelings, affections that's what God wants to know. You know we can say all kinds of things with our mouth but what's it connected to? We say one thing but we feel something else inside. So if I was to use the modern and I don't know what it says but Lord, you are near, thou art near, we are near, excuse me, in their heart, mouth, but we're far from our kidneys. Doesn't make sense to me. Far from our organs. In Revelation, the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament, that I am he who searches the reins and the hearts. This is after a passage where things aren't very good. Let's be a little more clear same thing in job there is a, a verse that he cleaves my reins my feelings and my emotions 7321 there's only about so many times that reins is used in the old excuse me old testament in this way thus my heart was grieved and i was pricked in my reins i was pricked in my emotions and my feelings because my heart was grieved proverbs my reins shall rejoice when my lips speak right things my affections my feelings and emotions because our lips are tied to our heart so I'm going to choose to show you how this has changed and I'm going to give you some more examples here before we go a little bit further try my reins in my heart examine my same verse different versions examine my heart and my mind another one test my mind and my heart there's a subtle difference. that's what I'm getting at or some people might not be it's so subtle another translation King James and NIV and NIV you search the hearts and the mind the mind has become so prevalent in our our, our, our world a lot of it because of it's research and everything else but if I take it from David's perspective David doesn't look at the mind as a solution for his issues David looked as the heart for the solution of his issues. Read Psalms 51, read Psalms 32. David says the the solution for the issues that I was dealing with and the problems I had were related to the heart. They weren't related to his mind. And one of the things that we've taken in this modern world is we take a cognitive approach, a mental approach to resolving issues. And Jesus is not... Concerned about resolving my head issues and my brain issues, he is concerned about healing a broken heart. So it's a heart issue. Another example the righteous God tries the hearts and the reins, King James, he tries the hearts and the mind, again, because figuratively from the the Greek influence in the New Testament. And then again and another one, mind and hearts, hearts and minds. One of the verses that is quoted many, many times is is out of Jeremiah seventeen, nine. The heart is desperately or deceitfully above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? You're reading the King James, it says, The Lord searches the heart and I try the reins. Who can know it? He does. David says he knows everything in Psalms 139. He knows everything about everything that ever was and will be to the nth degree and before I was even created. And so from that, after trying, researching, gives every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Over the years... One of the privileges, and I'm sure everyone else who understands where I'm coming from, and counsels, there's a phenomenon that takes place of the deepest anxieties and frustrations that happen f- far earlier than we realize. And one of the things that is taking place recently, because most of the pro-life movement is, and whether it's in China or I don't care where, They're doing all kinds of research on the unborn to determine what goes on in the womb. In other words, all of a sudden, at whatever month we're born, all of a sudden things start to happen. It's not true. And one of the things that we find when we counsel, there is great disquieting thoughts and anxieties deep within before we are born. And so the one who searches... The heart knows that ability because we're his created being. And the formation of the one who knit us together, wove us together, created us. And he is saying in Psalms 139, 23, and 24, search me to the depths, to the depths of who I am because I want to be what you created me to be, whatever the anxious thoughts are. And what I'd like to do, and I did some research, and I'd like to spend a few minutes on that, to give you the information that is now not so secret. This kind of information 50 years ago, people would not have been able to relate to. And I'm just gonna read from a few things here quickly. Our culture has long believed that a baby doesn't remember and is not affected by its birth and treatment during babyhood. More recent knowledge says its opposite is true. Subtle feelings and emotions of the fetus and newborn are. Actively studied in universities, doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, all these people. The results are greater understanding of the emotional development and the overall study. And the study basically came, comes through the brain, which is nothing more than a reflex of what's going on inside. The major development of emotions being begin in the third month of pregnancy, This writer that I was able to get this was believes that the primary emotions are love and fear. All others such as joy, pleasure, empathy, compassion, trust, anxiety, stress are branched off of these two. The development of fear in the womb can result by negative activity that is caused by either loud yelling or violence by parents, mothers, chronic anxiety, mom and dad doing all kinds of wrong behavior use of alcohol and drugs. The first time that I was made aware of this was back in 2004. We were on uh, one of the seminars that a young man comes and I was counseling him. He was fidgety and he was agitated and all kinds of things. Tried to help him and I made a statement, if you want to come visit me for some time, and he did. He came to the house and he stayed with us for a week. And with praying with this young man, I don't know how it was prompted, but we took him back to the womb. And the Lord showed up and showed him that at that time that there was all this noise and all this frustration and all this anxiety that was going on outside the womb. And we prayed and the Lord showed up and gave him a peace and a calm and created a safety. Now I'm new at this stuff in 2004, but eight months later we went back to Kansas and we met his mother and I asked the validity of what he said. And she says, his dad and I fought like cats and dogs every night. We yelled and we screamed. We were drunk. And that's what influenced his behavior when he was 20-some years old until the Lord interceded. There's a book out by a noted uh, author who says... The emotional imprints left on the child from his experience in the woman during the first three years of life create a foundation of behavior patterns on which all future responses are determined, including feelings, thoughts, and the actions. There is a conditioning that's taking place. Babies are believed to begin emotional development in the sixth month of pregnancy, according to the Mayo Clinic and the Academy of Pediatrics. At this time, a child's hearing will develop develop nearly all the way and the baby is much more conscious of his surrounding inside the womb. A mother, if she's under stress or becomes upset during pregnancy, the baby can feel that emotions. I was with a lady who was telling me a story of a mother had two miscarriages and they were afraid of the next one. And in that process... They didn't know whose life they were going to take, save the mom and have to deal with the babe. And talking about this, I could see it was great consternation on this lady and I asked the Lord, could you show her a picture of the day she was born? And what happened, I can't explain, but it it was frightening to me because I saw her cry and yell and end up on the floor in a fetal ball. And I waited for about 20 minutes for her to come back she started smiling and she said the Lord allowed me to be born and showed her a picture of how he did that so babies in the womb are believed to be able to recognize love, happiness, sadness and stress within the last three or four months the lady came and she was born at 26 and a half weeks and her husband didn't know what to do with it because there was such anxiety and frustration So when she told me she was born at 26 and a half week, I was led to pray with her and asked the Lord to show. And the Lord showed a picture of her in her mother's womb in her hand, in his hand, and took with his finger and rubbed her heart to create a safe place. And the freedom that she gained from that was immeasurable, praying with a lady. And I thought after three and a half hours, we'd address something. And she made a statement in another language, and I didn't know what she said, so her husband had to share it with me. And she said, I've been lonely all my life. So I just took the words. Lord, you just showed me I was lonely all my life. Could you give me a picture of what I was like the day I was born? She fell to her knees and cried like a newborn baby for five minutes. The pain of being alone, the Lord showed her a secret that affected her identity and who she was. The Lord showed up in such a way that he became real, created a safe place for her. And I know others who have been in this ministry could tell you stories that are similar. In sight, by the 28th week, a baby will be able to differentiate between light and darkness and the following of all sources of light through his eyes at 30 weeks or hers. And the vision will develop further at 37th week and starts to turn towards vision light. But his vision will be extremely weak. Sound, at 16th week. In the womb, you can, through movement, you react to sound All the fluid creates sound waves and makes it very easy. On the screen, at the 24th week, a baby can hear voices, music, and other sounds outside the womb. It's been proven. They've done so many tests, and there's so many of them that collaborate. generally can know the mother's voice at 24 weeks. They've done tests. Many people, they'll play music and then all of a sudden, after such and such a time after birth, they'll play the music again and all of a sudden the baby just starts reacting because they've already heard it and they're attuned to it. Some people unconsciously play music before birth to create an atmosphere. The emotions. Different people start to believe that the unborn is capable of experiencing feelings of anger, fear, affection, depression, and disappointment in response to the emotions of the mother's environment. It's even stated that fear within an individual can trigger premature birth. More and more scientific reports are coming to show that children's emotional, sometimes physical behavior is connected to the level of emotional, environmental stress that mothers experience when they're in the womb. Fully functioning sensory receptors appear around in the skin, around the mouth of the fetus at seven weeks. There's a sensory, there's a feelings, it's already started to develop. The human fetus possesses the ability to experience pain from 20 weeks of gestation, if not early. The awareness of all of this came out during the Bush administration and an individual before a House committee in Washington, D.C. tried to sponsor a bill through the Research that they had done and explains that the human fetus possesses the ability to experience pain from 20 weeks, if not earlier, and the pain perceived by the fetus is possibly more intense than any, excuse me, than that perceived by the newborn or older child. The reason for that is the highest density of pain receptors per square inch of skin in the human development occurs at 20 to 30 weeks since they have more receptors per square inch than full turn babies and their bodies is very thin leaving more nerve fibers closer to the surface of skin than the older people and adults they experience pain more intensely than infants, children, and adults out of that there is a bill in the state of Nebraska, and I'm not sure whether it was passed or not, but the bill was a vote of 44 to 5 that the Nebraska legislator, legislation this morning gave final passage to the Pain Capability of the Unborn Child Protection Act through a speaker. The governor is expected to sign the bill, in a ceremony this afternoon, the law was to take effect October 15, 2010. Why do I go into this? David prayed, Lord, search my heart and know my anxious thoughts. Thoughts that are disquieting to me. Thoughts that I have no control over. You have to show me. To what depth it doesn't make any difference because He's already established the depth of how much God knows Him and all the thoughts are more than the grand of the grounds that He can hold in His hand. That are in the sea. And Lord, if there's any pain in me, would You show me? Because pain's messing me up. It's messing others up. Because Lord, if You don't show me. I'm not going to know. You know, the secrets that are t- so deep. And so we have the wounding of the innocent. And most of us, growing up in our innocence, were wounded. We live in a broken world. We don't have this kind of understanding that David's writing about in Psalms 139. But Jesus does. And again, it's it's exciting, I have to admit, through the experiences of realizing that God can go into the darkest, hidden, most secret place of a person's life and can reveal it and bring healing. And that healing brings freedom. And lives change. And it's noticeable to others. Relationships change. Because Jesus... He created us. He knows how we're to function. That's why he gives us the commandment to love one another. I don't believe he's going to give us that commandment without an ability to have that happen. He's not going to play puppets with us. He's not going to tease us to try and experience something that's not attainable. In closing, I'm asking my wife if she'd come up and as she comes up, I want to I convey to you one of my own experiences in life out of my own ignorance. Our children are adopted. I saw my son when he was an hour old. And he was there behind that window and he was in an incubator. Not an incubator, he was just in that little crib. And I looked and what I saw was this baby who was red as can be and screaming and yelling as loud as he could. And my reaction was, good, I got a healthy son. That was 38 years ago, almost 39 years ago. But today, I look back and say, he was in pain. He was crying in anguish. He had just been separated from the only voice that he knew, separated from the only surroundings that he knew. The songs that that lady sang, because we met we met her later on, in life. He was separated from the very security that was his. And in my ignorance, I said, "Boy, I got a healthy baby." Yeah, he might have had good lungs, but deep down in his heart, he was hurting. Really hurting. And that's my own experience. I asked my wife to come and and share, in closing here, her thoughts. I think that's it.
1: Can you hear me? Yeah. Gary asked me if I might uh, write something for this time. And um, he just told you our children are adopted. And the inspiration came just this summer when... Our daughter, who is 36, asked me to pray for her. And she said, Mom, I know Dad's talked to me about every ad- adopted child um, has rejection pain. And, and I think I'm okay with that. And I said, well, great. She said, but I'd just like to, maybe we could just pray about that and some other things. And, and so as we began to pray, I was thinking of that picture that Gary has had on the screen Um, the night before her husband had prayed with her kind of to prepare her heart and he asked where Jesus was when she was born and she said mom I saw Jesus and he was standing right there and the moment I was delivered he said I'll take her Uh, we didn't get to have Jill until she was 12 days old and As we prayed together, the pain of those 12 days um, began to come out. And we know that um, adopted children have rejection issues, but uh, because just what Gary was saying, the voice that they've heard for all those months, they don't hear anymore. Um, There's new voices. There's strange voices. And fear comes. But many other people are rejected in their mother's womb. Um, not maybe just by circumstances maybe no one's fault just like we heard today but circumstances of life that happen Um, but they bring fear and insecurity and they bring confusion right to that little tiny baby in the womb and sometimes they don't feel cared for or loved or wanted and they feel lonely and scared these are the kinds of words that um, I wrote a poem and the words in this poem are words that I have heard women and men cry out and say. And I just want to read it to you today. It's robbed away part of their identity, part of their reins in them that make who God intended for them to be. And I just named it I'm Such a Tiny Baby. I'm such a tiny baby, I cannot see my way. There are strange voices all around me, but what are they trying to say? My heart feels scared and trembles, all around me feels confusing. Fear and terror overwhelm me and I feel like I am losing. Whose arms are going to hold me? Whose voice will whisper, my dear? How I need for you to love me and wipe away my tears. Sometimes I hear words spoken in anger and harsh tones. It robs away security and makes me feel alone. If you would only sing to me and calm me deep inside, I could begin to bond to you, and my heart would open wide. Jesus, do you love me? Do you see me in the womb? Speak your peace and comfort me, and come and fill this room. And that is exactly what happens as we pray with people, and we t- and sometimes we we don't even plan to go back to the womb, but sometimes the question, Lord, when did, my, when did I first feel this or that? When did I first feel rejected? And they go back to the womb. And it's there that we ask Jesus to come into the womb and to speak his peace. And he does see them and he does hold them in his hand and he does stroke their hearts and he does speak peace and he does unbelievable things clear back there to heal a heart. Thank you.
0: Thank you.